Welcome back to another episode of A Desi Woman Podcast. I am your host, Sonia Gokwai, and the voices I am seeking may have never been heard before, but their stories deserve to be told. What is a Desi Woman? She is a dynamic, fearless, and strong woman. She is your mother, your grandmother, your daughter, your sister. She is every one of us who is on an endless pursuit of self-empowerment and fulfillment. I am Sonia Gokhlai, and I am a Desi woman. Hello, and welcome to another edition of A Desi Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Gokhlai, and I'd like to welcome you. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you've tuned in before, it means so much to me that you found yourself here. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Today, we are so delighted to be joined by Ashwini Prasad. Ashwini Prasad is the inclusive screenwriter, and she leads with equity and justice as her pillars in her work as an anti-racist educator and screenwriter. Her pillars were rooted in college, and today she has more than 20 years of experience in anti-racism, anti-oppression, and social justice work with two master's degrees in these focus areas. She is also a program manager in her nine-to-five. Ashwini's screenplays and inclusive storytelling podcast focus on bringing people who are erased or marginalized onto our screens. Her recent book, How to Write Inclusively, an analysis and how-to guide, provides how-tos on writing inclusively that is available for purchase on Amazon. Ashwini, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we are so excited to welcome you. And, you know, I like to start out my interviews with guests, many of whom are from the South Asian diaspora, about their immigrant roots or journey to the United States, because I think it sets the stage for our conversation. And it also gives listeners a deeper understanding of who you are as a human being. So if you wouldn't mind telling us about that part of your life, we'd so appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. Again, thanks so much for having me. And so I'm Ashwini Prasad, and we'll kind of dig into what I do in a moment or throughout this conversation. But essentially, I am a somebody I call myself from the South Asian subcontinent. And so my great grandparents were actually indentured servants to the British. And so they went to Fiji as indentured servants because the British, when they colonized both India and Fiji, they didn't know how to work the sugarcane lands, for example, in other parts of the land. So my great-grandparents went from India to Fiji, and uh, my grandparents were mainly born in Fiji. And so there, I grew up with the Pacific Islander culture from Fiji, as well as Indian food and, and culture. So for example, uh, you know, I eat a lot of like coconut based foods, which may not always be within, I would say from the Indian subcontinent, maybe that's not something that's always used in, in foods, for example, I won't say not at all, but not, you know, there's a distinct in different types of foods that I think I eat versus other folks. I never really knew what Desi or ABCD, American born Desi, I think that's what it stands for. <laughs> it just wasn't a part of my vocabulary. And I moved to Canada when I was one and a half as well. So there I have noticed a distinction, at least in the places I grew up in Canada versus the places that I've lived in the United States, that people know like the Fijian community in like Vancouver, BC. Here in the States, they're like, they kind of put me in a big box of like Indian. 
And we know that India is so vast and diverse, but I've noticed that people don't really know much about Fijian Indians in the States as much as a place like Vancouver or Toronto. So yeah, I'm just kind of reconciling my roots and and uh, kind of wonder what my great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents were like. But I used to joke that my family tree was a bush, but now it just makes me sad because my parents actually didn't know their grandparents. So a lot of that history as it comes from servitude gets lost. So I'm just kind of reconciling all that and just also, you know, trying to build my legacy and uh, do better, which I'm sure my great-great-grandparents and great-grandparents were hoping for. Wow, Ashwini, that is absolutely incredible. What a rich background. And again, I learned so much from this podcast because I was not anticipating that. I would never have, and and why would I? Because each of us, as you stated, are so different. We're such a vast and very diverse country, India, and to itself. And then you're right, the legacy of colonialism impacted us all in, in so many ways and has repercussions for generations to come. So yeah, we're not all lawyers and doctors. <laughs> we are not. And as we dive into questions, yeah, as we dive into questions, I think the, the listening audience will be happy that you are in the field or in because we do need more representation. And, you know, as I mentioned in the, in the introduction, you are a screenwriter and your book how to Write Inclusively, an Analysis and How-To Guide, which I will have in the podcast notes, was a number one new release in Amazon's play and script writing reference and playwriting book categories within two weeks of its release. And the book is for anyone interested in how to write diverse characters and for those interested in greater diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the media and Hollywood. Now, your book also tackles why inclusion is important for the arts, media, entertainment, and publishing areas. I would concur with you because this podcast was born of that same sentiment. So I want to ask you, first of all, what drew you to screenwriting? It is a departure from what most of our diaspora and community pursue, though that's even changing, that that's not the case anymore, that we all go into STEM careers. But I think all of that needs to change and you're a catalyst for that. So I really applaud you for following your passion. And then I have follow-up questions for you. Sure. Well, I think that one, uh, to your point about different people, like I belong to different South Asian groups in entertainment, and I think we kind of know the same people as well. And so it's definitely one of those things where people are pursuing and have been pursuing. Like if you think about India in itself, it has like 25 different movie industries. And so the stereotypes that we can have, or maybe where immigrant parents might push folks is very different than in terms of people's interests and what they might be going into or going into the entertainment industry, for example, later on in life as well. So for me, when I people ask me about passions and, you know, gosh, I, I talk to a lot of my friends where sometimes I feel lost and what do I do? And I tell them, if you can, go back to your childhood, because not everybody wants to relive childhood memories. But I say, if it's safe for you to go back and listen to or think about your childhood memories, I tell folks, well, go ahead and think about what you loved. And that's when I did my own exercise around this about how I wanted my life to be and my legacy. I was thinking about what I loved to do as a teenager, and I spent my time in the theater. I did drama club and, you know, late nights and putting on shows and and a lot of sort of misses in terms of what I should have done. I said no to like a lead role in a play and people ask me why. And I, you know, as a teenage self, I don't know the answer as to why I 
chose not to. So the theater is my love. Like I'll go and buy like, you know, when I'm privileged enough at different points in my life to be able to go to the theater and buy good seats and like the, the lighting and the stage, it, there's, it, it brings chills to my body and it makes my heart happy. I think about the same thing about being on production sets and, and you know, things I want to do more of at this point in my life. And so it's just always been there. And so I was at a point in my life where I was like, okay, how do I, again, how do I want my legacy to be? And what do I want my next steps in my life to be? And so I knew that screenwriting was something that I was interested in and that would get me back into the theater. Of course, taking improv classes on the list as well. So things like that, maybe even doing a stage play. And so I just, it was about thinking about what made me happy as a kid and what really, you know, made my heart sore. And that's what it came to. And so I was like, okay, I don't know where screenwriting is going to take me. You know, the entertainment industry in the United States is, is very difficult to get in. And it was just like, well, what can I do to start this process of being creative again? and being in a space where I can also control the narrative. Like I get to write about what I want to write about. So I started that in 2019. And I actually was doing one of my finishing up my second screenwriting class. I took an advanced class after my beginner's class and it was during COVID. And so stuck with my advanced class cohort and we would meet and we would discuss and we would read each other's writings. And it's been like that with some of my colleagues and just kind of staying in touch and and mastering my craft. And so it, it makes me happy. I think screenwriting may be the first step into getting back into the entertainment world. I don't know where all this will take me, but just following the things that make my heart soar and make me happy and the items that I want to put my time, especially my free time towards, like writing a book or podcasting, as you know, I have my own podcast and building my brand as the inclusive screenwriter. Wow, those are beautiful sentiments. And I love that. I do wish that more of us would do exactly as you're doing, because I really believe each of us have a purpose and, and you start with where your passion is. And so it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. And as, as we're about to reveal through a lot of these questions that I have for you, I think you're poised for any number of areas that you'd like to pursue in Hollywood, because we vastly need more DEI and, and more folks that whose narratives aren't being shared necessarily. Now, the minority share of the U.S. population is growing by nearly half a percent every year, constituting 43.1% of the U.S. population in 2022. Not surprisingly, people of color become the majority in the U.S. within a couple of decades. And I have a lot of global listeners, especially those in India, so I just want to, to dive into some of that in further detail. Unfortunately, what I realized in researching for this podcast is it is clear that the racial and gender diversity within media, and Hollywood in particular, has either not improved since 2019 or has pretty much stayed the same. Now, the Hollywood Reporter recently released a study that looked at both streaming and theatrical releases in 2022, encompassing the 200 highest grossing English language films worldwide, as well as the 100 most domestically streamed films in the U.S. And the research found that for theatrical releases, the gains in diversity for theatrical releases melted away. And it was noted that in terms of race and gender, numbers had returned to what they had been in 2019. Women made up 39% of lead actors and 15% of directors, while people of color made up 22% of lead performances, 17% of directors, and here's where you are, 12% of screenwriters. 
That's woefully low. Now, streaming films seem to do better than cinema releases with gender parity among lead characters between the two platforms. And figures show that streaming did better in having casts that consisted of non-white actors. 64% had casts that were less than 70% white compared to 57% of films that had a cinema release. And my question for you is, is that because streaming, um, there's less barriers to access? Or what do you make of those stats? And just really looking for what your perspective is on all of this. It's shocking and disheartening, considering, I think, what a missed opportunity here. Yeah, it's absolutely disheartening, because I know that there's tons of people who should have, in all aspects of of representation should have been and should be in movies. I'll just give a quick aside. I remember I went to a, again, I'm privileged to go to certain things. I went to a Circus Soleil show pre-COVID. And I remember thinking to myself, what if everybody was given the chance to showcase their skills in an even way? And I wish that there was more of that. And so to your point, great statistics. I think that one, I agree, there is definitely people in the world. And I say that purposely in the world because Hollywood's not the only place where there is any type of cinema or movies, right? It's everywhere. People want to see different people on screen. They want to see different stories. They're also tired of seeing the same stories. I joke with my friends, like how many cop shows can we watch? And so one thing to note is that even if when you look at the statistics of those that have power, so those who have money and resources, it still remains very white male. And there's only been changes since post-George Floyd with non-whites or there's a woman I know, she uses the term folks of the global majority, which makes sense that those folks, folks of the global majority have been around and that they, but unfortunately they are not in places where they're being able to put the dollars and green light different projects. And this is in movies and TV, and even in the Netflixes and the Hulus, those are also very much white male led. And so when you have folks that can say yay or nay to different projects, and you don't have that representation, or the representation is less than three years in these higher levels, that's this is what you're seeing. You're seeing very similar content. You're seeing bias in terms of what people think can sell. And slowly things are changing, like you're noting in streaming. I think people understand, especially those that have an international lens of what people want to see. And you're also seeing different folks that are seeing the need and the, and the hunger that people note and what's trying to be representative of their world. And it's absolutely true, you know, that the United States in itself will also be more of a mix or people of the global majority in terms of population. But what's important is to also understand who will still have the power, the money within a population. Like, for example, if you look at South Africa, Black South Africans made up the numerical majority of the population. However, apartheid still existed and they were still a minority in so many other ways and other terrible, terrible ways. So it's the same thing in Hollywood. Who has the purse strings? Who has the power to green light different projects? And we need to start addressing that and also addressing how people have been put into those positions historically. And what do we do with the folks who have moved up, but their tenure is less than three years? Wow, that is such a fascinating perspective that you brought there. And I I learned a new word that I'd like to use, global majority. That really hits home, right? Because it's spot on. And and I love that. I love those semantics. Now, the co-founder of the Hollywood Diversity Report, perhaps a peer of yours and someone you might know, Darnell Hunt, said in a statement, 
quote, audiences of color are the bedrock of Hollywood and key to the bottom line, as research shows once again that audiences prefer diverse casts, end quote. Two of the most streamed films last year were Turning Red and Encanto. They both center around non-white characters and are coming-of-age stories, which Hunt said meant that they were culturally specific yet relatable. With more than half of the current population under the age of 18 belonging to communities of color, young people will grow up and demand films with protagonists who look like them and who live like them, according to Hunt. The research also found that a whopping 73% of films released in cinemas were directed by white men and that most of those movies, 60%, got much higher budgets, which is something you just referenced, 30 million or more. Female-directed films generally had lower budgets, and as did those directed by people of color. So not unlike other areas that we see across venture capital, whether it's a small business or whether it is in filmmaking, it seems that it's really barriers to access, access to capital, and as you stated, really it's money talks. And, and so what is being done to sort of mitigate some of this and, and get more women and people of color in positions of filmmaking, screenwriting, you name it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'll give a quick shout out to Hina Patel, who gave me the words in one of her Instagrams about people of the global majority. So it's not my term. It is definitely Hina Patel's. And to your point and to your question, you know, it's hard. The industry itself in Hollywood, from the people I talk to, it's disheartening in itself. It's disappointing. <laughs> it's like, I remember early on when I was getting into this industry, I remember reading someone, someone had put like in a meme or had read it where they said, if you can imagine doing anything else with your life, do that. <laughs> like, don't go into Hollywood thinking you're going to be famous, you're going to make money, all of these things, because there's so much heartbreak and frustration. And I think it, it's another layer when you have really great stories that aren't making it. And I think that there's promise in terms of what Hunt said. But at the end of the day, what happens from my experience is my perspective is that you have these various initiatives, like, you know, column diversity initiatives. So let's say that you get an initiative for screenwriting. And so what will happen is that people will come in, they'll get paid and they'll be, you know, they'll refine a great story. But the it's not just about having a great play or a great script, you now need to get it into development, you need to get into production, you need to get it to distribution. And that's where a lot of these different, I think, well-intentioned programs and initiatives to have different folks and people with disabilities, people from different areas of the world, women, uh, trans folks go in and have these opportunities. They don't think of the entire pipeline. They just think of their area, development, producing, screenwriting. And so what happens after some of these great screenwriting initiatives is that you have really great writers with no access now to get their scripts in development. And so there's a huge gap in terms of really moving people forward. And then, unfortunately, there have been some terrible experiences of folks who have been in writer's room and, you know, they are ostracized when they say things that don't make sense to their majority white or white passing peers that are in the writer's room. Folks are ignored. They are not treated with respect. And this is unfortunately both on and off screen. 
And so you have folks that where there's damage and harm and unsafe places and toxic environments for all folks from, you know, the scripts to the talent. And so it's a systemic problem. This is what we mean by systemic racism, systemic bias. And so there's a big thing. And and I think there is a huge disconnect between what you said, those statistics of those 18 year olds and why certain movies and certain TV shows and different streaming shows are really popular among a certain demographic. And again, until you have people that really can understand that demographic or want to, and then have that representation for people who want a green light, then, you know, we need more of these type of opportunities for all folks to be able to tell their stories, because I truly believe there's room for everyone. So until we really change, you know, who is, again, greenlighting and who has that power, we're going to still see a disconnect in terms of what things can happen and, and what we see on our screens. In addition, there's always been this thing where we don't get the opportunity, and we, I say, folks from the global majority in the United States, when it comes to our scripts and, and our shows, we're not allowed to fail like other movies like, you know, The Batman and Superman, right? If Black Panther hadn't done what it did, crazy rich Asians, oh, well, it would have been, hey, you know, those folks' movies flop, and, you know, there's no reason to invest in them. We have no room for error. Whereas other types of movies uh, that have historically been flops, think about Cleopatra, was it 60 some years ago, almost 60 years ago, you know, so much money and they're flops. And then you see those same faces in different movies. So we're not allowed to fail. And that's unrealistic in a place like Hollywood or, you know, the different areas of the world where there are so many different types of cinema. And so it's really important to look at our own biases, look at to, to see what's happening. I think give great opportunities to folks who are talented and being able to let them fail and pick them up because yeah, that's the way this industry is and also showing our triumphs. Well, all of that makes so much sense. And, and we are held to a different standard, as you stated, in one where there is no room for for perhaps learning. <laughs> and one good example of that is Mindy Kaling. When Velma, HBO's animated series about Scooby-Doo's yeah. Velma Dinkley mm-hmm. premiered last week, few could have predicted the backlash it would generate against its star, Mindy Kaling, who voices the character and serves as an executive producer. And there it you have it where out-of-the-box thinking, thinking of the character and, and the entire series in a different way, and being harshly criticized for it. So spot on. I couldn't have set that comment up by you better because that was going to be an example that I had. And and she's a powerhouse in the industry, right? But any comments on that in particular? Or I do have other questions for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, first of all, I think the biggest thing for me is why is Mindy the only example, right? I mean, it's not like there's not a lot of other South Asians and definitely in um, the United States and Canada. And so I think that there's so many opportunities there. And the issue is, is like, and I've seen this backlash from, from folks from the subcontinent is like, oh, well, you know, always playing the stereotypical person, stereotypical Indian girl, and like with Divi and Never Have I Ever. 
And it's like, well, that's one aspect of us. And so it should be there. The issue is not Mindy or, you know, the characters that she plays, because I have a script that I'm working on where it's like, you know, a very hip South Asian woman. And so the issue is, is that there's only, it seems like there's only one type of one dimensional character or one type of stereotypical character that's in the industry. And that has nothing to do with Mindy. It has all to do with who's been given access to put together and put these different types of roles out there. Like I'm a little disheartened with the show All Rise. It definitely deals with many different issues. It's got a diverse cast. But then they, in season three, they added a very stereotypical, I think it's a South Asian male lawyer a character very very stereotypical <laughs> uh, this overbearing parent of perfection and uh, being a loner I don't have a lot of friends and it's like oh my goodness like again the one dimensionality when it comes to our representation of our folks whereas you know I try to write about what I know which is people who are felons from the community people who were in gangs when they were teenagers and got out. And that's why that's the reason why they're alive. Very hip and fashion forward, strong South Asian female leads. And so the question is not about Mindy and she doesn't deserve the backlash. She's doing what she loves and she's putting forth what she knows. But and then, you know, like, who knows if she's had a producer that's like, oh, no, no, tone down the hipness of this character and make them a little bit nerdy, right? And then that's how you get greenlit. So to put it all on Mindy is disrespectful and it's it's not right because folks don't know what's happening and behind the scenes for these characters. And if Mindy wants to write nerdy characters, awesome. Let her do it. What's important is now we have different types of us represented on screen. And that doesn't lay on Mindy's shoulders. That lays on the people that are not greenlighting our projects. Yeah, and, and I have to think even I grew up watching Scooby Doo. And so at first <laughs> blush, at first mm-hmm. blush, even I was uncomfortable. I said, What do you mean, Velma? Mm-hmm. And and why is that? Because we don't even have that self acceptance and ability to say, Hey, look, things can look just like us. We can be represented on screen. Even our own populations aren't quite comfortable with that yet. And yet, you know, it's it's through no fault of our own, really. But I do want to say that in spite of the challenges to real DEI in Hollywood and the media, we have pioneers, as we mentioned, Mindy Kaling, yourself, I would say. And it was just announced that Pakistani-born Sharmeen Obeid Chinoy will be the first woman and person of color to direct one of three new Star Wars films. So I want to ask you, what gives you hope? What would you say to an emerging generation of potential actors, directors, producers, and screenwriters from our diaspora and community. And think globally. Um, we have people in India listening. Is this an industry and livelihood worth pursuing? Is the question. Yeah, no, that's another great question. And thank you for trying to let me in with Mindy. I'm nowhere near there. <laughs> Getting there, right? Getting there one day. Every conversation helps. No, I, there is promise in those ways. And I think that that's super important. I think what disheartens me is like, you know, the lack of women directors that were nominated at the Oscars, for example. And so when I think about Uh, the work that I want to do, I think global. I don't want to be isolated to just Hollywood. People aren't going to change. And really, you know, even from a business perspective, not want to make money from what people are hungry for in terms of content. 
and not green lighting things that the folks in the United States and I would say in Canada want, then it's like, well, let's look at all the other industries that are around the world that are so successful. You know, India is one of them, right? Like 25 different cinemas that are in India in itself and all the various languages and cultures. I mean, this whole K-pop things that are popping up everywhere from the movies to the soap operas to the music. And these aren't just isolated. These are, you know, decades worth of content that have been happening because it's telling the stories that people want to see. Even in the United States, you know, BET started because they wanted their own entertainment because most, and I think I'll have to research this, but I think it's because they were being rejected by white Hollywood. So you go and create your own avenues to distribute, you know, the stories that you want to tell. I think that there's a change. I'm a big, big Star Wars fan. So I guess I'm super biased. But you know, when I look at George Lucas and what he was trying to do, I mean, you know, the aliens living together and just kind of having these relations in, in space in a galaxy far, far away a long time, a long time ago, right? That's Is right. that he was trying to really show diversity in just a different way, just like Star Trek was trying to do it in the 60s, right? How can we yes, kind of coexist yeah. and also have these very different species kind of come together? And what are the very, you know, very human sort of ways that people interact and, and the sentiments? And so, you know, I think Hollywood needs to wake up. Folks need to be in positions to green light. I do think to your earlier point, streaming definitely has much more of an understanding of that. Like I, I love like Shadow and Bone because it's got this really great diverse cast and it's a, you know, it's in a fantasy type of genre and adventure. And people don't talk about their ethnicity. There's no like little side conversations or anything. It's just a bunch of brilliant actors in a really great show playing these various characters that are really entertaining. And I love that. And, you know, I think there's a room for the very much like preaching and, and political correctness and really, you know, saying, hey, these are these are things that are happening in the world and we want to stop it. I think All Rise really tries to do that to A Shadow and Bone, where it's just a really great cast and really great story with talent from ancestry-wise all over the world. And so I think one of the big things, at least with Hollywood, is people need to wake up with the resources. And then around the world, we need to tap into what we currently have in terms of our entertainment world and our media and making sure it's represented. You know, I'm slowly starting to see darker skinned folks in the India cinema, and I would say primarily in Bollywood. And that's why I was so happy with uh, Natu Natu and the win with RRR. It's like, wow, okay, darker skin men i think i think they're they identify as males and men and so now it's like well what about the you know why can't a darker skinned woman be a lead in a movie i don't usually see that you know it's a, a maid or someone's clunky sidekick or something instead of showing the beauty within even our subcontinent and i think that we also have to grapple with the colorism within india and the horrible horrible things of skin coloring and you know people wanting to be more white which is a colonial remnant and being able to really embrace who we are and start seeing that in our cinema. I think that there's an interesting articles I've read about how, you know, there are white or white passing folks who go to Bollywood and they're completely all now they're replacing all the Indian background dancers. And it's like, 
yeah. And it's like, there's room for all of us, you know, definitely there, but who are we prioritizing? And we need to be able to have an honest conversation, I think, around the world about who are the people that we're prioritizing and how can we build space for everyone to be able to come in and do what they love or try what they love and build that space and those opportunities. Yeah. And I, what came to mind is Bridgerton, of course, and Shonda Rhimes and the work mm-hmm. she's doing because seeing people of color cast in right along the backdrop of colonialism and the heights of, of British aristocracy, reimagining that, I thought was so a beautiful experience to watch that and audiences loved it. So it's interesting because I think people are ready. People are ready for this. And it's a beautiful take on something that I just enjoyed reading so much growing up as anything Jane Austen or, or from that time period and seeing her rendition of it is incredible. So I think folks like herself, Mindy, Shonda, I mean, and so many people that may be listening right now, I think will be encouraged by the conversation. There is a lot of work to do, but do not let that deter you or stop you because I can hear it in your voice. You're just thrilled to be doing what you're doing. And I think that's really the key. And we are excited that you have agreed to come back on a recurring basis to talk to us about this area, this industry, and and as well, so many different aspects that we didn't have time to cover today. So I want to point people to your website, www.theinclusivescreenwriter.com and I will have a link to your book in the podcast notes. Any other closing comments? We're so excited that you joined us today, Ashwini. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, and to your last point, I think that there is so much opportunity and not to look at it through gender or race or ethnic origin only, right? There's trans, there's people with disabilities. There's so much in terms of that representation that we could see be done well by the voices and the experiences of those people within a community and understanding within those communities there's so much diversity and it'd be nice to see that. So thank you so much for having me. Yep, that is my website, theinclusivescreenwriter.com. I love to connect with folks on Instagram as well. They can find me at the Inclusive Screenwriter on Instagram as well as Twitter. And I look forward to more conversations about what representation can look like for all people in the United States and Canada and the world. Wow. So well said. Thank you, Ashwini. We cannot thank you enough. I appreciate you. Thank you.